0: It's Doctor Seuss podcast with me, your host, Doctor Stuart Fishbein, community-based practice, practicing obstetrician, and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm here, as usual, with the best co-host in the business, the Blisterious one, my friend, midwife extraordinaire, Bliss Young. Hi, Bliss. Hello. Uh, we're happy to be back with all of you for your podcast number one fifty-six. You can check us out at Podcast.com. You can find us on iTunes, and you give us lots of reviews good ones though only though <laughs> and your podcast app which of course if you're uh, hearing this it means you already have a podcast app I think I said that before too <laughs> it's kind of a silly thing to tell you to find us on the podcast app if you have already listening to us on the podcast app you can email us at askdrstu at gmail.com or birthingbliss at hotmail.com yep. social media is at birthinginstincts and at bliss midwifery and our websites are birthinginstincts.com and birthingbliss.com dot com dot that you,
1: you, that was great See, it helped to write it down, didn't it?
0: Oh, my intro. You're not supposed to tell people I wrote it down. It's supposed to be all from memory. (laughs) Well, that's the only scripted part of the whole Doctor Stew's podcast.
1: Yeah, but uh, people say that they really, really like uh, how how whimsical you are. So,
0: are you goofy? (laughs) Are you goofy? Are you goofy right now?
1: (laughs) We'll have to see how goofy I am. But I am tired. Yeah, Yeah. you just
0: came from a birth.
1: I did just come from a birth. Do you know what's in this little red bag that's sitting right next to me?
0: A placenta. A placenta.
1: Is on our couch. We're going to show it to John afterwards. <laughs> we're going to give John a tour yeah. of his placenta. We're gonna,
0: we, you know, we did a podcast once when Brian, we did it, it was called Kung Pao Placenta. <laughs> yeah, it was, and because, we, you know, we were talking about p- placenophagy. Uh-huh. And so I titled the podcast <laughs> Kung Pao Placenta. I think People can look it up. It's, it's one of the early podcasts That's that we did funny. with Brian. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you were doing this morning. And then I'll tell you about what I was doing this morning, because I was at a birth also.
1: Oh, well, that's kind of Not for very long, we, but I was there. Birth. So this is my second birth this week, um, and she uh, was a second-time home birth mama. Um, she hired a new midwife this time. Um, just I think she just wanted a different energy, although she had a great birth the first time. Um, and you know her. She's come to see you a few times. She had a loss last year got pregnant again. Um, so I was feeling a little nervous about her, you know, this, this pregnancy being okay, which happens a lot when people have a loss. Um, but she had a beautiful pregnancy and everything went absolutely perfect. And I mean, there's really not much to say about this birth because it was so beautiful. Those are the kind of,
0: Those are the kind of births that people want to hear about yeah. because we often talk about you know, the ones that ne- don't necessarily go so well. We don't on the podcast here, but but that's what people hear about.
1: Yeah. So with, like the, with a second-time mom, I usually don't check their dilation. I just kind of wait for them to follow their instincts. Mm-hmm. But she was feeling like she got in the tub, and then she got out of the tub. And she said, you know, it really, I think it really would help me if you would tell me where i am and i was like i'll check you if you want me to check you i'll check you you know me i'll do what they want so um i checked her and she was you know probably about eight eight and a half centimeters She was doing great um and i said You're- that's such
0: a good feeling by the way when you have a multip who's like eight to nine centimeters yeah because yeah. you know like it, it's gonna it's, happen it's too. almost over yeah. right
1: yeah yeah um and uh, i of course was watching the clock because i knew i had to get up here and i was like mm-hmm. No, Hayes and I were talking about it. I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. Um, so and then um her water broke and within 15 minutes she was having her baby. She was really pushy on the bed and wasn't sure she was gonna be able to move, but I told her we would help her, and she got in the tub and got on her hands and knees, and her husband assisted the catch with me.
0: Was he in the tub or was he out of the
1: tub? He was out of the tub. Okay. Um and um Their baby was so exactly 40 weeks, by the way, on the nose today. And uh, her last baby came a couple weeks early, so she kept feeling like she was late, but she was exactly on time. But the baby had so much vernix that it was actually hard to do the APGAR scores. Hayes leaned over at one point. She's like, I'm not really sure what the color is. And I said, I think the baby's fine. And I kept listening. Baby didn't open its eyes. Tone was good. Um, but I'd listen, feel the cord and listen to the rasps and everything was great. So I was like, you know, things are fine. But it, it was one of those babies that you're like, is this baby okay? It looked like it was sleeping. Um, it took 20 minutes for it to open its eyes. Um, so that was but interesting. But did it, did it
0: cry? And it didn't really ever cry either?
1: It, it took a long time. And it was, it was, the lungs were wet for a couple of hours. She was a little concerned, Um, And felt like, you know, she kept asking me, is this okay? Is this okay? I'm like, you know, let's just give her time to work it out. And so we actually, um, I don't know what they're called those little things that you can do percussion on a baby. Do you know mean talking about uh, that?
0: like cupping? Sort of. Yeah, they yeah. do them in the
1: hospital, and I said, "Gosh, I wish I had one of those things." And she goes, "I do," and I'm like, "That's a weird thing to have." Um, and I guess her daughter um, had bronchitis or something at one point, and so they had to do that. So couldn't she, she had couldn't one Could like, use a little
0: shot glass or something like that?
1: I was doing it with my hand, but I yeah. could tell that it, that would be better because it has kind of a cone to it. Mm-hmm. So it, anyways, after I did that, it went to sleep and sounded so much better. I couldn't even hear the heart rate when I was trying to do the newborn exam because it still had some, it was lungs were still so wet. So, but totally great. Great, great birth. Fabulous.
0: So there was some exciting, uh, um, news for me last week. Yeah. And Beth too. Um, we had our two seconds of fame. I saw it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) We were, we had a cameo on dancing with the stars Yeah. uh, with the Vanderbeeks. Um, We had, they had a little side story on James and Kimberly and, uh, they're, pregnant with their sixth baby and Beth and I have been involved in the last four so this will be the fifth um, that we're involved with Mm -hmm. Um, and the first one she people know her story the first one she had in a hospital and the second one she was going to have in the hospital with the same doctor and turned out that Joshua was Mm breech and so Mm -hmm. she ended up with me and she really she tells her story a little bit in the documentary heads up the disappearing art of breech delivery Uh, uh she really never intended to have a home birth and now she would now mm-hmm. she doesn't even have us in the room when she gives birth. Right. It's just her and James. Right. And we're just standing out in the hallway with the door shut, usually mm-hmm. waiting for her to tell us to come in. Mm-hmm. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I, her last birth was very funny. She's, she's one of these people that speeds up the very, very end. So mm-hmm. she was talking, she was walking the stairs. We were all down in the house, and I was looking at the chart the other day um, from her last birth, and it's something like at 4.32, she's walking up and down the stairs and talking to us, and it. You know, 4:44. She goes into the bathroom. Baby's born at 4:47. <laughs> 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 so it's it like she's talking to us, and 12 minutes later, she has yeah. a or 13 minutes later, Good she has a her. baby, something like that. So.
1: I thought it was really awesome that they also um, on the show talked about their losses and wanted to yes wanted to you know bring more awareness to loss and in, in well terms people of people think that everything people right? think
0: that everything yeah people think mm-hmm. that everything in TV is always staged but I'll tell you what this was not staged this was I asked Kimberly if she wanted to come in first and me, have me scan her be sure that everything was okay and she mm-hmm. said no no yeah courageous she of them. said she said if if this isn't okay then twenty million people will see how we handle good for her loss. that's amazing yeah. yeah so kudos to james and kimberly i mean they're yeah, wonderful people they are. and if you've seen a picture of them and their family i mean they've got five kids that are all under what how old is olivia i mean i, I don't really know she's probably nine yeah maybe nine years they're old such so a again, cute family. yeah and they all exactly they look almost all exactly alike. every one of the kids is a beautiful blonde uh kid anyway so that's exciting that is yeah i still have 14 more minutes and 58 seconds in order to get my 15 minutes of fame though
1: <laughs> this doesn't count your podcast
0: yeah, no, it does not we are not famous? No, not, well, <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean. And so then I had a I had a birth this morning, but it was it was very quick because I didn't we had to transport.
1: What was going on?
0: Well her first baby was a breach home birth mm-hmm. and her second baby she had an abruption at thirty two weeks and oh, ended up going mean. in and having an emergency C section. Baby's fine, mm-hmm. but she was bleeding a lot, so she had to go in and have an emergency C-section. and that baby was also breached. Um, and then this baby was, of course, <laughs> breech, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And she mm-hmm. broke her bag today, and she was um, 35 weeks and mm. one day. And I was going to go and take care of her anyway with, with Beth because mm-hmm. we'd been at her other births, or i been at her first birth. The second birth, she never made it, the term. And uh, she wasn't really my client, but Beth called me in the middle of the night and said, you know, well, she broke her bag of water. So the plan was, if she was still breech, for me to come on board with it, like, on-the-couch type thing Mm -hmm. except that it couldn't really be on the couch because she was breech but Mm -hmm. um and uh got there and we were listening to the heartbeat and baby's heartbeat's 150 and then with a contraction went down to the the low 80s -hmm. and then we'll come back up again Mm -hmm. and we heard through a couple I checked her and she was only three to four centimeters Mm -hmm.
1: yeah good choice and
0: frank breech so she had to go in
1: yeah sorry man. Uh,
0: that
1: was a good choice. So is she delivered now? Yeah,
0: she had a C-section not not urgent. They actually took their time. They sort of it's sort of funny they they redid things that like <clears throat> you know we tested the fluid at the house with the amnia indicator, but it was clear that she'd rupture. and then I examined her and she's got I'm feeling butt and, and a leg. I mean it's baby's in Frank breach so I can feel the butt She's left sacrum transverse and the legs are going up the right side. And then when they get to the hospital the you know the the, um, the midwife that went with her, I think maybe it was Bathurst, maybe it was Laura. I don't know. One of the midwives that went with her texted me saying they're doing a sterile spec exam. Mm-hmm. All right, to confirm rupture. Mm-hmm. It's like, I uh, you know, but I we did confirm rupture, and I've already examined her and she's got no. I mean, I'm feeling the baby. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, and then they did an ultrasound, which is, you know, I understand that. So obviously, they, she was having variables, but they weren't anywhere as deep as they were at the house. Mm-hmm. And there was even a moment where where the Patient said to the midwife, "says Can I can I just leave? Can I go home?" <laughs> um, but no, th- it was not wise. It's not wise to do a preemie breach with variables. Even though it's thirty-five weeks, it's not that. I mean, the baby would probably be fine. Yeah. But um, what was the size? Five two.
1: Mm-hmm. What were? Your but par- we knew that. We knew that. What are your parameters again? Remind me. Five pounds. Five. Uh huh. For breach. Five to nine, right?
0: Yeah, five to nine and a half. Nine and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and I had scanned her last week, and we got like four pounds, fourteen ounces last week. So I knew the baby was going to be just over five pounds. Mm-hmm. And willing to do it. And if and if she has the breech delivery because uh, there's no other choice for her other than a C-section if she goes to the hospital. So if she had the breech delivery at home and the baby would have needed assistance, then we would have transferred the baby, but she would have had a vaginal delivery. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it would have been a, a, a v-back breech, mm-hmm. and it probably would have been. And we know she did it already with a primate breach, so we knew it was going to be pretty easy to do. But sometimes uh. You know uh, discretion is the better part of valor and with the heartbeat going down no you can't because those only generally get worse yeah as labor progresses
1: yep and I heard a couple of stories this week of people who had losses and that was something that happened early in labor is that they had um, a couple of uh, deep D cells and changed positions and did some other things but um, but uh, and it resolved but they had they had a loss I've heard two this week so I think that I think that's a good a good choice well it was an
0: easy decision it was yeah. a, a medically easy emotionally tough yeah, yeah. for for, for her. but but she's so she's so great they're so great, That's great. um anyway congratulations to your client my yes. client can and... i tell you
1: about the other one?
0: Oh yeah you have another one yeah oh you said you had two
1: yeah i had two and now i don't have anybody until thanksgiving so i got some time well, we have one well yes. But of my own. She's yeah. like, don't we have went, forget. We, have one,
0: we went up in Santa Barbara. That's yeah. Due, so that'll be a schlep.
1: I'm really glad, though, that she waited until this one delivered because she's, you know, a and they were, you know, three hours apart. So that would have been stressful. <laughs> so you're I would have been doing what you do all the time and you deal with it just fine. But, you know, like being so far apart. Um Anyway, so the other one was a prime uh lives. 10 minutes from my new place. So that was quite fun to, to know that I could get there super quick. she had a great doula that I referred her to. And, uh, and, um, so she went, um, they labored together, her and her husband pretty much, um, from like one to four in the morning. And then they called their doula and, um, And she said at about four, I was like, where's where's Bliss and Katie? Why aren't they here? And so he called the the doula and she said, can she lay down? You know, how are things going? Call me in an hour. And they waited two hours. I guess they were doing pretty good. And then Katie got there and texted me and said, I've been here for half an hour and her contractions are coming every couple of minutes. And she's grunting at the top of her contractions. So I was like, oh my God, here we go, another fast birth. Am I going to like, you know, be running in to catch this baby? And um, First
0: baby, did you say? It was her first baby. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I get there and she looked so zen and totally like in the bed, all cushioned up and looking great. And I looked at the doula and I said, are you sure that I should check her? Because I would not normally check this mom. You know, she looks like she's not not about to push her baby out. And she was like, When she stands up, she she has a lot of pressure, you know, and so I was like, Okay. So I checked. And she was eight. And um so I said, Why don't I fill the tub for you? Why don't you go into the other room so you don't have to hear the noise and, you know, maybe take a shower or sit on the toilet or something. And so she did and about five minutes later her water broke and she started pushing. And I was like, we're never going to have the tub full. <laughs> Hayes wasn't there yet. How, how
0: many times does that happen? It's <laughs> you know, like, this you know, is not
1: happening. I know. But it did. So we got tub full enough that she could get in. And then she ended up pushing for a couple of hours. We even got out and got on the stool and did, you know, a couple other things. She ended up delivering. Um, we tried side lying on the bed. She had a lot of progress on the stool, um, but her back was really hurting her. And so she was like, can I lay down? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know? And so instead of getting her back on the stool, we just put her on her back Lithotomy, right? Yeah. And, um, and that's how she delivered and, um, great, beautiful, controlled push. She did amazing. Um, and then, uh, baby came out and, um, sounded a little gurgly. And so I had them put her, him down on her chest and I could see with the tone, the baby's arms were s- straight above its head. And so I was really watching and like helped stimulate and stuff. And, uh, got the baby stabilized and then looked down and, um, the chucks pad was full of blood. Like she had dumped and her placenta was still inside. And I'm like, what is happening? So I said, Hayes, And she goes, you want 10 or 20 units? I'm like 20. So we put it in and then I thought, okay, well, it has to be a partial separation, right? That would be the only reason before the placenta comes out to have so much bleeding. Or
0: completely separated and the placenta is just sitting in the uterus.
1: So I decided I was going to go in and see what I could feel for. and Good uh, decision. Yeah. I, would,
0: I would have done it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, me, though.
1: So I went in, and, and I could tell that the Pitocin was working. So I took my hand back out, because you know how uncomfortable it is. And I felt her fundus was really firm. And um, I said, let's just see how the bleeding is now. And it totally stopped. And her placenta separated and came out 10 minutes later and when i examined it i couldn't you know sometimes you can see a differentiation if you have a partial separation nothing looked perfect couldn't see any reason for that to have happened but it was about 850 cc's Mm -hmm. yeah so anyways that was
0: that happens in pregnancy
1: exciting (laughs) that was exciting so um she had um she had a little bit of a rough time with getting up to go to the bathroom, and because you and I did a birth recently, where you were like, "It's okay, you know, as long as you pee within twelve hours, it's fine." And I knew I was close to her, and I could come back, and all of that. So, um,
0: yeah, I just, I just hate having the pressure of making people, making people pee while you're sitting there, w- yeah. w- watching them. Yeah, right?
1: yeah. So. She peed almost immediately after I left, but, um, but it, you know, that was. It was interesting that you know leaving somebody who's feeling a little woozy, you know, and hasn't peed, and um, so I asked um, a postpartum doula to come and support them for the first twelve hours, and you know I said you could go and be monitored in the hospital, um, but you know you can have a postpartum doula here, and I'm sure it's going to be fine. And it was; they she felt better the next day. So that's
0: it. Good. Yeah. Good.
1: Great. <laughs> Alright, this has been podcast number one fifty six. No, just <laughs> people like our stories. No, don't. they do. I like our stories, <laughs> and they're
0: probably we're going to get stuck in the weeds here a little bit because I the topic I want to talk about today is um, uh, anticoagulation <laughs> and thrombophilia's in pregnancy, which can you can kind of start to make people's heads spin. Mm-hmm. And if we have time, we'll get into thrombocytopenia as well. But maybe we'll save that for another podcast. We'll see how we do. Uh, I have.
1: I'm half two, awake, too. I have I'm
0: two stories. <laughs> well, I'm going to try to keep you awake. but <laughs> I, have, you awake. I have I have a, uh, a letter from a listener named Christina in Nashville, Tennessee. Hi, Christina. And I also have a story that someone told me, and I, and it's a good question. The story is really brief. All right? If a woman, well, it has to be a woman, cause she, but if it's a person, <laughs> but if a woman has a blood clot in her leg after a traumatic injury to her leg.
1: We talked about this.
0: On the podcast? Mm-hmm. We did.
1: Mm-hmm. Last time,
0: oh, is that where we talked about it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see we're both tired. Oh, I can't. You know, I have these conversations all week long, and I can't remember that we and talked
1: sibling, about this. And the sibling, the sibling got um, prescribed her sister's right. That one.
0: Well, the question. Well, yeah, but I was going to say, mm-hmm. does this woman who had the accident need anticoagulation in a subsequent pregnancy?
1: Oh, I see. Yeah,
0: and the, yeah, and yeah. the and the data is really after I I review the ACOG um, yeah, tell us uh, practice guidelines on this stuff, and we're going to get through all that in a second. It was, it, this is the guidelines that came out in, I can get my papers out of the way here, came out in uh, July of 2018. And it's, it's about thrombophilias in pregnancy. And we're going to talk a little about when to coagulate, when to anticoagulate, when to not to. And a lot of things that, that people thought you should anticoagulate for, or you should give something, there's no data to support it. And okay. most of the things, there's no data
1: That's interesting. to support it. I so I it's, it. it's
0: kind of interesting. So it's, because, because everybody considers these people high risk and if they're high risk, then can they deliver at home? And the answer is, well, why not? Right. If if you wouldn't do anything, you're not going to do anything different, unless they become symptomatic. Then why would you deny them the opportunity to have a birth where they want? Why would this risk out of a, midwif- a midwifery based practice?
1: So, can you define thrombophilia first?
0: Well, it's the inherited thrombophilias, uh, As if funny, you should ask. I have it right here. Yeah, they are associated with an increased risk of venous thromboembolism. So thrombophilia means means loving of thrombuses. Philia is the is Latin for loving. Did you know that, by the way? Mm-mm. Phobia is fear. Fear. Right. Mm-hmm. So okay. opposite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- uh, um, if somebody is um, agoraphobic, they're afraid to leave their house. Mm-hmm. If somebody is dogophilia, <laughs> <laughs> they, love, they love dogs. I don't know. I, I couldn't think of a good one. So. Um, so anyway, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But that's really what it Is this is it's a tendency that pregnancy has a tendency to be a hypercoagulable state, and there are certain things that can happen in pregnancies, and there's certain genetic predispositions to coagulation that you know we're screening for. Starting to screen for a lot of these things. There's MTFHRR, which. Is not a risk factor for developing a venous thromboembolus, uh, or I could call it a DVT, deep venous thrombosis. It's probably easier for me to say that than VTE, okay, which is a venous <laughs> thromboembolic event. But, you know, these things all blur together. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna call it a, a clot. Okay. Because <laughs> it's easier. Yeah. Um, but there's factor V Leiden, there's prothrombin deficiency, there's antithrombin deficiency, there's all these other things that are really vague. And when somebody, Uh, you know, a midwife or whatever, maybe orders a thrombophilia panel, you get this sort of stuff and you go, well, now what does it mean? So we'll try to clarify that a little bit. good Not every one of these people needs a, needs a a hematology consult, which is what a lot of people will do. Mm -hmm. And once you start getting a, you know, you start bringing in these specialists, then things get a little more complicated. You bring in a little more anxiety, a little more fear into something. It's really great when you have something that's unclear, but most of these things are not that unclear, or actually they're very clear about what you need. So here's a letter from um, Christina. I'm going to just read the highlighted part, essentially, if I can read it, because the lighting in here is not so good. She's in Nashville, Tennessee, and it would be awesome to hear more about clotting disorders, she says. She said, personally, I have a history of three miscarriages, and was found to have a a mutation of something called plasma-activated inhibitor. And uh, it it, it, it it causes it it causes impaired um, fibrinolysis uh, function, <laughs> which means that it, it, you you fail. You know when you when you have a clotting system, you initially form clots, and you, part of your body wants to break down the clot. So it's forming clot, breaking down the clot all the time. With this person who has this inherited disorder, they the breaking down of the clot part doesn't work as well. So they uh, tend to be cl- to clot more. Mm-hmm. And she was recommended at Lovenox, which is a low molecular weight heparin. Until 36 weeks, it's a given a single dose or sometimes twice a day subcutaneously. Um,
1: so can you tell me why 30 to 36 weeks?
0: Well, then they were going to switch her to regular heparin until six weeks postpartum. And I don't mm-hmm. have no idea why they would do that. Okay. All right. But you should generally keep them on it because you're giving them a prophylactic dose, generally not a therapeutic dose. So you're not going to. If they were to cut themselves on this, they're not going to bleed extensively like they would if they were on therapeutic heparin, mm-hmm. right? Because this is sort of, a, a, it's more preventative. She's. It's not that she had a clot. Somebody that has a clot, you put them on heparin in a therapeutic dose, so they break so it it breaks down. it down, right? Uh-huh. Okay,
1: and this is so that they don't over clot. During the delivery and all that. Well, because process? Of, because
0: pregnancy is in itself innately a hypercoagulable state. Mm-hmm. People with a genetic disorder that predisposes to clots, they feel like we should just do this. And and again, is there evidence for that? If we're going to get into that, although the one that she has is extremely rare, the PAI.
1: Can you say more ab- about hypercoagulative state? I don't think I ever knew that.
0: Just that's what you know. Just probably because of the high estrogen levels. And other hormone levels, it causes uh, whether it's an increase in clotting factors or more effective, use, uh, I mean, more uh, efficacy of the clotting factors. They tend to be more likely to develop a blood clot when you're pregnant. Yeah, I think you knew that. You knew that.
1: Oh, I knew that. Yeah, I knew that you right. you could.
0: Yeah. So that's definitely what a hypercoagulable mm-hmm. state is. Mm-hmm. The question. I mean, uh, the question I would have for Christina, and you don't have to answer it, Christina, if you're listening. But <laughs> why do they even? Why do they even check for um, this PAI mutation? It's not part of the standard panel that most people do for repetitive miscarriages. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting thing that that how they found that because it really isn't even talked about in most of the reading that I did. It's not talked about at all, actually. I had to look it up separately. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. She gave birth in the hospital, although she wanted to go to see babies in Atlanta with uh, Dr. Mm Boots-Taylor. But she gave birth in the hospital, and she says it was fantastic, and I wanted to put that in there, and I highlighted that because... She had a fantastic hospital birth. She said, I had spontaneous labor, no interventions, not even a heparin lock. Mm. So I didn't even have an IV. So that's great. I did not tear. My blood loss was considered normal. So she didn't bleed excessively from being on heparin. Um, Fast forward to my current pregnancy. She's 31 weeks, or she was when she wrote the letter a couple weeks ago. I will hopefully be giving birth at a birthing center in town. I say hopefully because they have shown a lot of concern about this clotting business Which has given me a great deal of anxiety. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once again, we practitioners often have to be really careful about projecting our own.
1: Yeah, but I think um, blood disorders is one of our contraindications.
0: Well, then why would they have have accepted her in the first place? That's a good question. Right. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm saying is that Mm -hmm. they accepted her and now they're giving her anxiety. Right. The birthing center sent me to a maternal fetal specialist to assess my situation. The conclusion of the specialist was that I should just stop taking all the blood thinners as there isn't enough evidence that my clotting disorder affects pregnancy. So completely opposite recommendation from her first pregnancy. Right. All right. So if I summarize for her, she's she's freaking out a little bit. She says, how can I do that? The thought is terrifying to me as it would seem to be the reason I was able to finally carry a child to term the first time on the fourth try was because of what she took last time. Yeah. And she says that if it's not recommended to do blood thinners for, oh, and she says it's not even recommended to do blood thinners for MTHFR moms either. Is that true? And that answer to that is very simple, yes. Yeah. MTH, MTHFR is not a risk factor for uh, blood clotting. Uh, a, a clot, a DVT, mm-hmm. a VTE. Mm-hmm. Okay. She goes on and says, was it just a coincidence that I carried a full-term child and the blood thinners didn't actually do anything? I'd love to hear your take on this. All right? Mm-hmm. And the reason, I Christina, the reason sometimes you're getting different opinions is because the science is unclear. Yeah. People don't know.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, there's no way to know whether or not the medicine you took in the fourth pregnancy caused you to go all the way to term. But you empirically, it makes you think that it would because you had three miscarriages before.
1: And I could understand her
0: being nervous. Right. Now, Mm -hmm. miscarriages happen about one out of every three pregnancies, about 30% of the time. Say that word. What?
1: The one that you said last time. Fecundity. Oh,
0: well, the fecundity is the ability to conceive. Well, you have a good memory, though, even when you're loopy.
1: No, I'm saying this on purpose.
0: Oh, you have something you want to talk about?
1: No, (laughs) say fecundity. Fecundity. Yeah, one of our listeners was like, what was that word he was saying? It was like... Fuckinity? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm pretty sure that wasn't the word. But I yeah. looked it up.
0: Fecundity. The
1: ability to produce an abundance of offspring or new growth, fertility. Yeah. Yeah, anyways. Go ahead. I dig- <laughs> I digress.
0: Because <laughs> um, people don't know. People don't know. Oh, by the way, it's really interesting. I, I got a <laughs> no, e- I got an email today, or maybe it was yesterday, from some guy, a sound guy that... that It's just a solicitation, Mm -hmm. but he says he can go. He can edit our podcast and take out all the ums and ahs.
1: (laughs) It's like, well, why would
0: I want to do that? (laughs) I like my ums and ahs. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Whatever your name was, I I appreciate the um, the thought, but bugger off. Yeah, bugger off. That's (laughs) pretty good. You're 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 tough right now. (laughs) Anyway, so we don't really know. That's the thing. So there's no way to know whether or not. But but one out of every three. Uh, pregnancies approximately will miscarry mm-hmm. So the chance of having three in a row will happen to one out of every twenty seven women. Mm-hmm. okay,
1: but gosh, that's hard.
0: Which is only four percent. Yeah. So that's why we be that's why the when we work up people for re, uh, habitual miscarriage, um, we tell people that if they've had one or two really don't because one out of every nine women will have two miscarriages in a row, and it's not that uncommon one out of nine. Mm-hmm. but one out of twenty seven you're starting to get okay, so you're getting up there. so, they work it up. But some people, when they're older or something, they may want to be worked up a little sooner than that because they don't have as much time.
1: So you said that this this thing that they found out was not a normal workup for infertility. What... Not
0: fertility. It's not infertility. It's for... Because it's miscarriage... Uh, repetitive miscarriage is not infertility. It's Because infertility means you can't get pregnant. Right. 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 This is... A, this is um, There's a word for it, and I'm drawing a blank.
1: <laughs> what do you do, though? What, what is the workup? What is the workup? For, for multiple miscarriages?
0: Well, there's all kinds of things. There's, there's like a differential diagnosis that has four or five things. One could be anatomic. There could be something wrong with your uterus. So you might want to look at the uterus with ultrasound or a hysterosalpingogram to rule out possibility of a septum. Another one could be uh, hormonal. Another one could be genetic. Uh, so there's mechanical, hormonal, genetic, infectious. Mm-hmm. So you'd culture for things like ureaplasma, chlamydia. Mm-hmm. And then another one is autoimmune. Mm-hmm. So those are the five that mm-hmm. I remember. Then, and, and I'm really impressed that I remember that because <laughs> this is a, this is going back to medical school Good. or residency or something. Good. That, but I just remember there were there are five. I like that. Yeah. Okay. And so you 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 go through them all, and then you mm-hmm. you actually direct your workup to the history. So you have to take a you know you have to do a physical exam and a history on these people, and then you decide which ones. You know, some people will just do like the old algorithm method; they'll just order everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, especially if you're working with somebody who is short on time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like somebody who comes to you and they're 39 or 40 years old and they're, they've, you know, they're having miscarriages. Yeah, That's a different story. Well, I mean, it's sad no matter what. I don't mean it in that way, but, I, but I'm but i just saying that they want to, you know, you, you can't take it piece by piece. You want to sh- give them the shotgun yeah, treatment. Okay. Got it. Anyway, so I did some research on mm-hmm. this for C- Christina and all for, for myself. And I, I love doing these sort of things because... I would never do this if I didn't have a podcast hmm. or a cl- or a patient who had it. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's a podcast uh, question, and so it's it's really good for me because it helps refresh my my memory. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how much I do remember, mm-hmm. but sometimes the data changes. And of course, on sure. the thrombophilia thing, there is no good data. You know, the, the ACOG when they put out a practice bulletin, at the end they'll have the summary of the of the recommendations, and they will have level A, level B, and level C. Mm-hmm. Okay, for this sort of thing, there's no level A recommendations, which means there's no good science at all on any of these things. Mm-hmm. There's some level B and level C, which we'll get to shortly. Okay, so um, let's see what I wrote down here. Okay, so the most common ones in the workup that you say, if you're going to do the autoimmune workup, mm-hmm. okay, well you're going to check for th- you're going to check thyroid, you're going to check all that pituitary hormones, that sort of thing, and you're going to check for lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, you're just going to you check for those sorts of things. They're easy blood tests to do. Mm-hmm. And then the thrombo- thrombophilia workup includes things like factor V Leiden, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to talk about the genetics of it because I actually don't really know the genetics of it, uh, prothrombin gene mutation, and there's a you could be heterozygous or homozygous. Mm-hmm. Clearly people that are homozygous for this mutation are more likely to have clots and problems than people who are heterozygous because they've got two genes for it instead of one. one. Mm-hmm. And then there's antithrombin deficiency and there's protein C deficiency and a protein S deficiency. They don't even include MTF, MT HFR. HFR, thank you. I
1: always think of mother, <laughs> you know what. Oh,
0: Let's mother, uh, mm-hmm. oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I never thought of that.
1: <laughs> Leave it to me. Now you guys all... I, I
0: bet you a lot of listeners have thought of that too, but it, yeah, I never really thought of
1: that. Mm-hmm. It'll help you. <laughs> I'll
0: just think of Samuel L. Jackson.
1: You Yeah, because he says that a lot,
0: all the time. Yeah, uh, there isn't a movie where he doesn't say it. I figured I, think I shouldn't a signat- say. It's a signature line in every, sh- every movie he's ever in. Oh, really? They added Pretty it. much, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless it's a cartoon movie where he's just a voice, and then they probably don't do it. <laughs> 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 okay, so those are the things, and and you know the clouding, um, the the um, the again the information on this is very is very unclear. So let's take a look and see what else I highlighted here, because. We get to anti deficiency, which seems to be one that that um, is highly thrombogenic, but it's extremely rare. So I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about things that are extremely rare, but yeah. it should be part of your panel if you're going to order these sorts of things. Or uh, you know, for a lot a lot of us, we just punt this to a hematologist. But yeah. you know, I wouldn't. But I think a lot of midwives around the country they they're not going to be doing this. Although, although surprising, a lot of midwives don't have access to consults very easily. So. They can now know that they can order it. And, and most laboratories will have what's called a thrombophilia panel. And you can ask them what's in there. If you have Quest or whatever lab you use nationwide, you can ask them what's in the thrombophilia panel. And you, can, and you can customize it. That's great. I've customized mine. So I put in, in mine what I want so that I don't have to check each box each time. I can just write thrombophilia panel. Mm, and great. I know what I want. Great. Okay. So um, <clears throat> briefly on the MTFHR. You did it. MTFHR, right. And, uh, the the conclusion is there is insufficient evidence to support assessment of MTFHR polymorphisms or measurement of fasting homocysteine levels in the evaluation of a thrombophilic etiology for for um, a blood clot. MTFHR mutations by themselves do not appear to convey an increased risk of clot in either non pregnant or pregnant women. So that's information that mm-hmm. because a lot of a lot of our our midwives are now checking it routinely. Um,
1: MTHFR. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they're doing it more for the um, potential for giving folate. Yes. Prenatally. Because why?
1: Um, why? Because they don't, they don't, um, they don't process the vitamins in the same way. And what
0: happens to people that are folate deficient?
1: Um, they have midline defects. Yeah. The babies. But unfortunately, if you don't get, you know, sometimes our clients don't always come into care that early. So you know, this is something that I think patients should also be asking for to know their status prior to pregnancy. Would even be better because there can be a connection to infertility sometimes too, and and they're not they're not yeah, doing and, that.
0: And also the things like spina bifida, tongue, there's the midline defect, tongue tie. Mm-hmm. But if you don't catch tie. it.
1: you know before the first trimester and you're not already supplementing. which
0: I'm wondering why why is it that that we that ACOG recommends all pregnant women get a flu shot and a tdap shot but they don't recommend all pregnant women take like four milligrams or two milligrams of methylated folate
1: I I think this is a pretty new um, new mutation that we're learning more about right I mean, it's not something in the last few it's been years. It's
0: been around long enough that they could have put out a statement mm-hmm. on it, I think. Maybe they have. I just don't know. Okay. Okay. There are inconsistent associations between any inherited thrombophilia and recurrent pregnancy loss or stillbirth. So this is interesting because the minute somebody has recurrent pregnancy loss. Which over is, two? Yeah. Three. Three? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is over two. <laughs> 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 Yeah. This, is, this is, I don't have. I don't know what I'm name I'm going to come up for this podcast, but it's going to have to be something to do with the fact that we're both we're both goofy. All right, um, but also stillbirth and stillbirth. Part of the workup is to do a thrombophilia panel, but they're basically saying that there's there's no real good association. So if you have a stillbirth and you tend you test positive for say factor five Leiden, now you're you're saying to the person, well, okay, even though there's no evidence that you should give anticoagulation therapy to we're going to do it anyway because we feel like we need to do something. So we're going to give you baby aspirin we're going to give you if
1: you had a previous stillbirth right in the next pregnancy and then you
0: happen to screen them and it happens to come back positive, but a certain percentage of the population carries this, and most people who have it never have stillbirths.
1: right. but you said that um, baby aspirin is you know kind of just an insurance policy that it can't really hurt or something yeah, like that, right? Yeah, although I
0: did read somewhere in here that but that you do increase risks of bleeding postpartum if you somebody has is on baby aspirin and heparin at the same time. That
1: makes sense. Right. Yeah. Well, of course it does.
0: Yeah. Right. It does make sense. <laughs> okay. So let's see. It says here, uh, some meta-analysis and a retrospective cohort study have revealed an association between inherited thrombophilias and first-time pregnancy loss. Prospective cohort studies have found no association between inherited thrombophilias and fetal loss. So, like That's I'm going to say, every time we go through the whole mm-hmm. thing, you're going to find that it is confusing. That's why, Christina, you're getting a recommendation in one pregnancy from one hematologist to take this medicine the entire pregnancy, mm-hmm. and another hematologist says take the whole stuff and throw it in the garbage. Yep. All right? Mm-hmm. I tend to be in the more of the take the whole stuff and not, I mean, don't take the stuff thing myself. Mm-hmm. All right? But... If the medicine does no harm and it's successful in one in in getting you a pregnancy, then why not repeat it in a subsequent pregnancy? Mm -hmm. You know, if 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 it ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't change something. Right. So, but I understand why he gave her that recommendation because he truly believes that these things don't matter. Right. Which is something that most of us don't know because I, I again, this is such a confusing. Topic and it's such an emotional topic because you're dealing with miscarriage and stillbirth, right? Yes, um, as well as a, you know a, having a blood clot in your leg or a pulmonary embolus,
1: which can be scary.
0: Uh, it can be more than scary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, recent other studies have shown that uh, there's no benefit of treatment with prophylactic dose of of lowenox or low molecular weight heparin to improve the rates of live birth in women with an inherited thrombophilia and a history of pregnancy loss when compared with no treatment or aspirin alone. So I'm just reiterating what they're saying. Okay. Um, There's no association between stillbirth and either prothrombin or MTFHR mutations. There was, however, a weak association between maternal homozygosity for factor V Leiden and stillbirth, with two out of 405 women in this study having that happen. That's still one in 200. It's Mm -hmm. pretty small. Mm Mm-hmm the authors concluded that there is insufficient evidence to screen for inherited thrombophilias in the setting of a stillbirth.
1: Say that one more time.
0: If you have a stillbirth, mm-hmm. the uh, the conclusion of the authors that ACOG is quoting says that working them up for a thrombophilia is useless. Hmm. Which is funny because it's pretty standard. When a woman has a stillbirth, they get this mega workup because they're looking for any kind of thing they can find.
1: Yeah. It seems to conflict with we, what we just said, too, about the possibility of giving them um, you know, something for the next pregnancy if, it was, if they had this, right?
0: Well, I was saying, I was, I was, what I was describing was what Christina has, where she had three miscarriages and they put her on it empirically mm-hmm. rather than, than having a stillbirth and then putting you on heparin next time. There's no, the data doesn't support doing that, although I, I've done it in the past. Yeah. Because you're grasping at straws.
1: Yeah. Okay. You want to help somehow.
0: You do. Yeah. So this is an interesting paragraph because it talks about preeclampsia, okay? There is insufficient evidence to conclude that inherited thrombophilias are associated with an increased occurrence of preeclampsia. All right. got to move this pillow because my back is... I'm trying to look at you. There we go. That's much, much better. Um, some clinical studies have reported a link between factor V Leiden and preeclampsia, severe preeclampsia, and preeclampsia before 37 weeks gestation. However, multiple other case-controlled studies have failed to demonstrate such an association. <laughs> All right. So, anybody listening, this is what happens when you read a ACOG. It
1: goes in circles.
0: <laughs> yeah, a practice bulletin, because you know they're just they're not coming to conclusions. And I sort of like this. Okay, they're putting it out there. They're not giving you an algorithm of how you're supposed to behave. Mm-hmm. They're giving information and letting you, the doctor or the midwife, who've been trained. To do this sort of thing, to take this information and then treat your patients as you wish, mm-hmm. but anybody who treats patients w- as they wish with certainty that they know what they're doing is right, needs to understand that they're, you know, that that's not that's a little bit overzealous. Uh, fetal growth restriction, yes, something we come into all the time. Mm-hmm. Most multiple case controlled studies failed to detect a significant association between factor V Leiden and fetal growth restriction. Okay. Uh. F- Another study found no association between fetal growth restriction and factor V Leiden, prothrombin G mutation, or MTFHR. Again, so people that are growth restricted, I know that other you know, that people have done these autoimmune studies. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that is associated with these preeclampsia and with growth restriction is the antiphospholipid antibody syndrome and anticardiolipens. Do you know what those are? Mm-hmm. I don't either actually, but oh, okay. <laughs> right. Um, there, yeah, there are antibodies that are circulating that that are um, for whatever reason it's an autoimmune thing and it's mm-hmm. and it's it's you know in some people who have these antibodies you have that and there is a significant thing. And for that sometimes you do, do you use corticosteroids um, to, to decrease their immune response. And you can find that you can get some better results, but that's a different topic. But I, yeah. But I just want to say that these these clotting things are, are they're they're very loosely associated, or they're they're associated with nothing. <laughs> okay, placental <laughs> abruption. Okay, these things leave it leave us more questions than answers. As yeah. I'm reading along here, yeah. There is insufficient evidence to establish a link between thrombophilias and placental abruption. Mm. Uh, prospective cohort analysis of factor V Leiden, prothrombin, and pregnancy. Outcome found no association with placental abruption. However, a meta-analysis of case-controlled studies reported an association between placental abruption and both homozygosity and heterozygosity for factor V Leiden, and a link between prothrombin mutation, heterogeneity, and placental abruption. So, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> are, we getting, are we detecting a pattern here? Yes. All right. Yes. Wake up! I want to make sure the listeners are <laughs> staying awake. But you know what? I, I know that this isn't our typical, maybe we should go off and do another birth story or something, but I just I think this is so important mm-hmm. because people don't see what I see every day as far as questions go. But Chris- Christina's question and the question about the lady who had a, a orthopedic accident, got a blood clot, now should did she or should her sister or whatever else get... These things happen, I get these questions all the time. Yeah. And it's important that we can tell people Yeah, you could take anticoagulation therapy. You could not take anticoagulation therapy. There's no way to know whether or not it's going to make any difference. But the data doesn't support doing it.
1: Well, that's informed consent.
0: That's what that is.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what we need to do is tell them that there's no data, but it's not going to necessarily hurt, right? That's what I'm getting. Yeah. We need a, what do you call that? The synopsis? We need like the cliff notes. That's the bottom line, right? Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, that's what Dr. Stu's podcast is famous for, is the (laughs) bottom line, right? Okay. So uh, low molecular heparin, which is the Lovenox, did not reduce the rate of recurrent placenta-mediated pregnancy complications, including small for gestational age or pregnancy loss at or after 20 weeks, early onset preeclampsia, or placental abruption. So again, the data doesn't think... So the recommendations, uh, let's see, for... Who are candidates for thrombophilia evaluation? So who should get worked up?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So this reminds me back when my, when I, in 1979, I took a uh, second year of medical school. I took a laboratory medicine class and my laboratory medicine professor was, I still, I can, I can vision him. I can't remember his name, but I can see him in the head because he was this bald guy. He could look like George Costanza, only taller. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, he always told me, don't order a lab test unless the result is going to change your management. Yeah. It's a very straightforward thing. Yeah. So what does what ACOG say? It says, Screening for inherited thrombophilias is useful only when results will affect management decisions. Right. Yay. Yay. All right. Go ACOG. All right. <laughs> Did I say that? You said that. I know. Targeted assessment for inherited thrombophilia may be considered in the following clinical scenarios. A personal history of a, cl- of a, of a DVT. Mm-hmm. Okay. A first degree relative with a history of a high risk inherited thrombophilia not of clot but somebody who's ha- who who's already been screened and and, and has a high risk one the high risk ones would be things like antithrombin or het- or homozygosity for prothrombin or or a factor 5 eight which means you both genes are missing okay or present in other situations th- thrombophilia testing is not routinely recommended specifically screening for inherited thrombophilias is not recommended for women with a history of fetal loss or adverse pregnancy outcomes, including abruption, preeclampsia, or fetal growth restriction. I think I'm beating that point to death, but this mm-hmm. is a summary. Mm-hmm. Because there's insufficient clinical evidence that antipartum prophylaxis with unfractionated heparin or low molecular rate heparin prevents recurrence in these patients. So in other words, they're telling you, yeah, you could screen them and they may test positive, but there's no there's no treatment that works for that anyway. So why are we doing that? Right. Okay. Although testing for inherited thrombophilias is not recommended, testing for the acquired antibodies present in antiphospholipid syndrome should be considered in the setting of recurrent pregnancy loss or stillbirth. Okay. Because that you can do something about. Obviously, that's why they're suggesting it. Yes. Because if you can't do something about it... Don't test. They wouldn't accept it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you're the best in the business. You're just really, you're really quick at getting this these points. I'm one eyeing it over I know, here. <laughs> I know. That's why I said wake up. <laughs> okay. Um, what laboratories? What laboratory tests are recommended? Okay. Factor V Leiden, prothrombin, um, and antithrombin and protein SNC are the ones that are recommended okay. when you do screen. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I don't know where this. Um, PIA, PAI, excuse me, that Christina had screened for. I don't know why they would have screened for that. But maybe Christina will enlighten us and I can give that up. Maybe one of her family members has it or something. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Okay. Whenever possible, labor testing testing should be performed remote after six weeks from the thrombotic event mm-hmm. and while the patient is not pregnant and while she's not taking anticoagulation therapy. So if somebody has a miscarriage and you're going to draw a blood type on them, to make sure they don't need rogam, don't be drawing your antithrombin, or your thrombophilia panel at the same time. Mm-hmm. You want to wait at least six weeks. Got it. Right, if someone has a stillbirth and you're looking for, um, one of the things we draw sometimes on a stillbirth is we do um, something called a, well, you drew a blood test for fetal hemoglobin, and I can't remember the name of the test, to see if there was a maternal fetal bleed. Mm-hmm. It's a Klyhauer betke I think, is the Crossing. name of the test. Like the, yeah. the crossing, mm-hmm. looking for a cause. It's called a Klyhauer-Betke, actually. Mm-hmm. After two guys, I guess. Named Clyhauer and Betke. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: What if it, Becky's a girl? Uh,
0: you know what? All <laughs> these things were named after guys. I know. They it was were. a joke. Yeah, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Becky would be the first name and not the last name. Betke, not Becky. Oh, God.
0: Okay. So, <laughs> lastly on this one, summary of recommendations. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to just say that these are level B recommendations, and the only one I wanted to talk about was that screening with either MTFHR mutation analysis or fasting homocysteine levels is not recommended. So, you know, if, if you're going to do the MTFHR, it's not it's not because of pregnancy loss or stillbirth. You do it for your other reasons that some of our midwives here in Los Angeles are doing it as part of their routine panel.
1: So, can I say something about that?
0: You have to ask permission.
1: Yeah, <laughs> since when? I, don't, I always ask permission. But um, <clears throat> so I was talking to Alex, who's our our friend midwife, and Who, she who's,
0: who's got a great podcast herself called the Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcast. It is a great podcast. I really it like her podcast. Yeah, it's very pro- they're very prolific too. I don't think she does anything else, but she and Patty are just podcasting all the time. Because every time I open my Instagram, they got a new podcast up.
1: That's how we're supposed to be, but we're getting better.
0: We don't, you know what? We're busy.
1: <laughs> we're great. Um. Anyways, so the 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 insurance doesn't cover this test, and it usually costs out of pocket.
0: Which test for doesn't? clients?
1: The MTHFR. It's about a hundred bucks. So Alex. Oh really? Alex suggested, which I think is really a great idea, is to do the Ancestry.com or Ancestry test that that one, and it tests for all of these other things, and it includes MTHFR, and it's does about it include like Factor Five, Leiden,
0: those sorts of things.
1: That I don't know. We should look into that. All right,
0: that's going to be your your research for next next, time you're Okay, text
1: me because I will not remember as soon as I walk out of this room. (laughs) Well, you're going to go home
0: and you're going to listen to this (laughs) podcast once it's posted. It's true. I do listen to the podcast. You do.
1: Um, So my kids were laughing at me one day because I was listening to the podcast and they were like, are you listening to your own podcast? That's weird. And I'm like, no, because I like to hear what we talk about and if we're supposed to bring something up next time and... Yeah, it's not like it's, not like it's not like it's not like watching your
0: own, you know it's not like watching your own television show or something. It like kind of is. Is it? <laughs> I
1: think it is, but, but we're not acting. No, we're not. No, Mm-mm. this is the us. And it is important because it's hard, it's hard.
0: It's hard when you're busy in your busy life and you're up and your in your hours are screwed up to always remember what you said. Yeah, and who you said like. I was talking about the lady with the broken with the trauma and you said, "Oh, we talked about that last podcast." Like <laughs> I talk about between podcasts, I talk about so much stuff. Yeah. That there's no way that I know where I who I talked about it to. So to and listen. if I was going to keep track of that, I, I would go nuts. Yeah. I would yeah. go nuts with the data. So Yeah, so and what else is on your mind because I'm going to I'm not we don't have time to get into anything else today. Let's but I but I just wanted to this... with
1: diamond oh dun, 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 dun. That's what's well, this mind. is my neighbor now
0: <laughs> and she lives across the street from a movie theater like i used to for years mm-hmm. so
1: and we both love movies right and i invited you finally and you didn't want to go to any of the movies i wanted there was nothing see.
0: showing i wanted to see
1: i saw ad astra and i liked
0: it yeah i liked it too it yeah. got very bad reviews but i really liked it
1: uh, i enjoyed it i, I had hate had reviewers was... oh, okay that's a one. unless they word. write good reviews about our podcast and then, and then it's fine <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but I I look at the you know, Rotten Tomatoes and stuff, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's look it'll say the the reviewers give it like a a, a splat, mm-hmm. but the but the patrons give it, you know, a, a ninety two. Yeah. 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 I so don't know I that Astro was meant. pretty good. What else yeah. have you seen recently?
1: That's it. I've been moving. That that was I that was the first movie I went to in a while.
0: Yeah. There there's there's nothing that I've seen that's come out recently that.
1: Uh, I want to see Judy.
0: Judy in the sky <laughs> oh Judy in the sky right? <laughs> that's loose <laughs> oh it's, what's Judy oh Judy's about Judy Garland <laughs>
1: <laughs> Judy in the sky that's too good this podcast is going to be called Dum Dums on the couch
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh thank God for the music oh my God thank you John I hope you guys you stay with us,
1: us. <laughs> for this one <laughs> see you in a couple well, weeks you know
0: whenever I do we do, about every 10 podcasts I do a, like a clinical review mm-hmm. of something it's important stuff
1: it is I think people tell us if you enjoyed that part tell us what you think I think it was
0: good yeah I mean if you're driving in a rainstorm or something like that you might it might be <laughs> it might knock you out it's not a good thing but you know on We'd a peaceful a day if a peaceful day laying in a hammock it might be a nice way to fall asleep <laughs> <laughs> so once again guys this has been Dr. Stu's podcast number 156 We know your time is busy. We know that you have lots of things you could be doing and other podcasts you could be listening to, including Under the Hood. (laughs) But, uh, and what's Nathan's podcast called?
1: Wino and Gyno or Gyno
0: and Wino? The OB-G- OB-Wino okay. Gyno.
1: There you go. Yeah, and yeah, he, that, he reviews wine and Yeah, does... and
0: he did an interview, actually. I, we didn't talk about this yet, did he? We, we did an interview mm-mm. with Rixa and David. Yes. Uh, the Breach guys that I work with in Kansas. And
1: talked about you.
0: They mentioned me in it. Mm-hmm. So um, you can look at his podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll put a link to it for Renee, if you're listening, if you haven't fallen asleep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wake up.
0: <laughs> right, wake up. Anyway, so uh, you can find us on... Uh, well, you know where to find us. Uh, you can write us at... Um, uh, Ask Dr. Stu. Ask Dr. at gmail.com mm-hmm. and birthingbliss at hotmail.com. Mm-hmm. And I think that's about all I'm going to say today. Okay. Well so we'll until see. next time. Bye bye.